presents. You're listening to CITR FM 102, Kiva 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with the zombies. The zombies. Today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. And we began with the Downliner sect from England, a band I will ask the zombies all about doing Why Don't You Smile Now, as written by... Lou Reed. Yes, an early Lou Reed production. He was a songwriter at Pickwick Records, was covered in the 60s before the Velvet Underground by the Downliners sect. So we heard the Downliners sect doing Why Don't You Smile Now by Lou Reed. And we are going to right now hear the All Night Workers doing a version of Why Don't You Smile from 1965 as well, written by Lou Reed. So again, we have the original version of Why Don't You Smile, at least the original recorded version, not by Lou Reed, but by recorded by another band, Why Don't You Smile, and we began with the Downliner sect doing Why Don't You Smile? Again, all by Lou Reed. And then eventually, an interview with the Zombies. So here we go. The All Night Workers from 1965 with that same song you just heard. Another version of Why Don't You Smile? 
on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the Roughnecks with You're Driving Me Insane, featuring Lou Reed on vocals. I mentioned Pickwick Records and him being a songwriter with John Cale, and this was one of the tunes. I think you're driving me insane. I think again, I think from 1962, it says on the back of the record from 1962 and the record is actually called Soundsville and has a whole bunch of genres covered. And that particular genre was England. You're driving me insane. The English genre by the Roughnecks featuring Lou Reed on vocals before the Velvet Underground, and before that we heard the action from the Rolled Gold LP from 1968. That was the action with Look At The View from England, produced by George Martin. So a bit later era action, the action from 1968 with Look At The View. And before that, we had The Beach Nuts featuring Lou Reed on vocals doing Cycle Annie, The Beach Nuts. Beach Nuts. And before that, we had the All Night Workers doing Why Don't You Smile from 1965, written by Lou Reed. And we began with the Downliner Sect doing a Lou Reed song. Yes, the aforementioned Why Don't You Smile. And today, an interview with the Zombies, who I will ask all about the action, the Downliners sect, and that is the connection between all the different tunes. So here we go, an interview with the Zombies, right after this, right after the Zombies, doing Just Out of Reach on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Show!
I can't do it. Who are you? Um, oh, yeah, I played on that. Yeah, I know, exactly. You were one of the first people, in fact, the first person ever that I could say, who are you? Yes, well, I'm Rod Argent. And beside you, Rod, you have? I have Colin Blundstone by my, on my right here. Yes. Yeah, I'm Colin Blonson. I'm the lead singer for The Zombies, and we're very glad to be in beautiful Vancouver this evening. So, Colin, tell me about Rod playing on Who Are You? Rod's played on many, many really big albums, you know, and that's, that's one of the greatest that he's played on. But he's played on loads of things. He's one of the best keyboard players in the world, so people want him on their project. Rod, tell Colin about you playing on Who Are You? Well, the thing was that I just played on a Roger Daltrey album called One of the Boys. And after that, Roger said, um, had spoke to Pete, and then they, they asked me to play on Who Are You? Um, and the idea was that I was going to play on the whole album. But what actually happened was that I'd already contracted after a month to play... Uh, on an album for Andrew Lloyd Webber, which became a number one album in, in the UK with John Heisman, Gary Moore. Uh, it was called Variations. And the thing is that um, the Who album took a long time because what actually happened was that they, they were going through a lot of political changes at the time and they had meetings day after day after day after day. And when we actually recorded, it didn't take very long. I mean, the Who Are You track was all done in, in an afternoon. Um, uh, but in the end, because of everything that was going on, I only played on three tracks. I played on Who Are You, a track called Love Is Coming Down, which I'm not credited on, but that is me playing piano on that track. How, how do you recognise his playing, Colin? How do you recognise Rod? Lots of notes very fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And also with solos, very long. <laughs> Um, they're only long because he has to go off and have a wee in the middle of the... Uh, <laughs> Don't tell him all my trade secrets. <laughs> who are you? Uh, who am I? Who are you? You played on it. It's amazing. Who are you? Who am I? Well, I, you played on Who Are You? I did, yes. I, I played I'm Rod Argent and I played on Who Are You? Yes. And, and beside you, you have Colin Blunstone. Who didn't play on Who Are You? I didn't, know. I think I wrote one of the songs on the Roger Daltrey album that you just mentioned. You did! One a Single one. Man's Dilemma. I wrote one of the songs on the Roger Daltrey album that Rod played on before he played on Who Are You? So you see, it's a small world. So complicated with the zombies, but let's bring it right back. What can you tell us about Miles Davis and his influence on the zombies? Well, I can tell you about his influence on me. And that was that when I was about 15 years old, I heard uh, a track called Milestones, which was on the album that came out before Kind of Blue. And I was completely knocked sideways by it. I just thought it was fantastic. And uh, I just listened to masses and masses of Miles Davis at that time. In fact, I still do. I mean, I still play him at home. And that is an eight-track. Your old manager, Mel Carter, he had an eight-track club. Mel Collins. Oh, Mel Collins, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, he managed me for a short time, but he managed, really, basically, he was managing Argent. He did actually manage me for a time. He did, didn't he? Yeah. Club, did he? Well, 
hit an eight track. Have you guys ever been on eight track before? Yes, yes, I have. We have been on eight track. Uh, Argent were on eight track at one point. But have the zombies ever been on eight track? Uh, I don't think they have, to my knowledge. I don't know. I don't play zombies records, so I don't know. <laughs> one record I wanted to ask you about, Colin, was the Nut Rocker, Kim Fowley. What is the importance of the Nut Rocker? Well, for me, a Nut Rocker is a song I don't know anything about this record. Be Bumble. Be Bumble and the, the Stingers. I was going to say. Yeah, because Kim Fowley wrote it. I didn't know that. Tchaikovsky wrote it. Uh, no, he puts the credit. Kim Fowley, right there. Oh, right. Well, well you, I guess he borrowed from Tchaikovsky. Someone had better yeah, tell him, yeah. yeah. But that was important for the zombies. Be Bumble, right? It was, because at our very first rehearsal, uh, Rod was going to be the lead singer, and I was the rhythm guitarist. We took a break in the middle of the morning, and Rod walked over to a broken-down piano in the corner, and he played Nut Rocker by B Bumble and the Stingers, and I was amazed. It was, I thought it was fantastic. We were, as a band, we were very average, I thought, but Rod was a spectacular uh, keyboard player, and I said to him, Rod, you really should play keyboards in the band, and he didn't want to because it, he wanted it to be a rock and roll band, and he wanted it to be all guitars. So he declined, but then later on in the morning, I was just singing a Ricky Nelson song, and we can't remember what song it was, and he said, you know what? You can sing. You be the lead singer, and I'll be the keyboard player. And basically, that's how The Zombies was founded. So this record started The Zombies, kind of. Well, the B-Bumble record did, yeah. It did. Tchaikovsky. He was the start of The Zombies. You also have a song called You're Moving... Moving, oh, on. moving on. Yeah, yeah, moving on on the new album. On the new album. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I have a gift for you. Oh, an Elvis beer mug. Oh, wow. Check that out with the handle. Check out the handle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To put on a keyboard. What do you think about putting that on the keyboard as you play? I'll think about it. Because that is great having space on a keyboard, isn't it? It is. I think it looks stunning. And I, th I think Rod, perhaps full Rod with foam over the top. Foam I think he should put that on the keyboard, yeah. Well, anybody from the band drink from the Elvis beer mug? That is incredible, isn't it? Well, I can ask tonight, yeah. Uh, what is the drinking habits of the zombies? What are the drinking habits? Would this be off stage or on stage? Would it have tea? Um, this would be... <laughs> well, actually... Um, after many, many years of drinking, and this is nothing to do with an alcohol problem, I can assure you, I decided that I wasn't going to have any alcohol in my system when I played anymore. So I don't drink anything before going on stage. After many years, I mean, I, I started when I was 15 years old, and I could never imagine doing a gig without having a drink. Was it because you were a keyboard player? Because it was so easy to have a drink, to put it down? It's because I always had a flat surface and I didn't know what to do with that flat surface. So well, you do now. I do now. <laughs> it's taken me all this time to actually find something that will fit on the top of my keyboard. An Elvis beer canter mug. Yeah, Elvis, the man who had our records on his jukebox. Thank you, Patrick Stoddard. Thank you, Patrick Stoddard, who worked for the Watford Evening News or something like that. And he covered our very first... Uh, triumph at uh, the Watford Town Hall, which was the Hearts Beat competition, and he became a, a very good friend. And he went on to be a very important uh, reporter for national newspapers after that. But I, I remember him basically from 1964. Did he also tip you on a studio, like jo John Jackson's studio? Oh, he might have done, because we did actually record in the Jackson studio 
before we went to Decca and recorded She's Not There. So we it, we had been in a studio once before, and Patrick Stoddard may well have told us about that studio, yeah. There is a Canadian connection to the zombies, too. You are calling Blundstone, but there also is an A. Pardon? <laughs> Paul Arnold. Oh, Paul oh, Arnold. Yeah. A.B. Absolutely. In school, right? That's right. We sat in alphabetical order. And so Paul Arnold was in front of me, and he turned around one day, and he said, you've got a guitar, haven't you? And I said, I do have a guitar. And he said, would you like to be in a band? I'm forming a band with my friend, Rod Argent, who went to a completely different school. There's no way I could have known Rod if we hadn't have been sitting in alphabetical order. And Paul Arnold went on, went on to be a doctor, and he's now in Edmonton in Canada, and he is a doctor. And your daughter is a doctor. My daughter's a doctor too, yes, absolutely. So thank you, Canada and doctors. Uh, absolutely. I'm all for Canada, and I'm all for doctors, especially when I'm unwell. The zombie church, you guys practiced in a church hall? Um, yes, we did in Hatfield, yeah. Yes, we did. How come you know that? Well, you're the zombies. We have to know. My God, yeah. No, we did. And actually, the, the great thing was, there was one schoolmaster at school that I really hated because he used to give me the slipper on my bare backside every week, um, this, this sort of gym slipper. And I got my own back on him by practicing in this church hall, which adjoined his living room. So every Sunday afternoon, I completely ruined his peace for week upon week. So, you know, I was very pleased about that. But that was the Hatfield uh, Church Hall, yeah. The Rugby Club, VFRC? It's the old Verilenium's Rugby Club, yeah. And uh, that's the old boys club for St. Albans Grammar School. I, I went to St. Albans Grammar School. I played rugby for them. I, and I played rugby for that rugby club. And one Do you have any scars from rugby? I have many. Yes, I have broken nose, broken tooth, dislocated he shoulder. Had a broken nose when we when we first met, and I thought, God, I hope it's not him. Yeah. When we first met, I was strapped right across the face here with two black eyes. I I'd never met him before, and I walked up to him and said, I, "I'm in the band," and they were all scared of. Me. I looked like a zombie right from the beginning. Anyway, yeah, I played rugby for the old Verilaniums, and one Saturday they had a band in there, and they were friends of mine, and they weren't all that good. And I thought, you know what? We could get the zombies in here, and we really built it up. That was one of our first local followings in that rugby club and some other rugby clubs as well. And they used to have to put a big marquee on the back of the rugby club because there was so, it was so many people came to see us. The first time we played there, we played to about a dozen people, and then we went down so well that they booked us in a, a few weeks' time, and we played to maybe... 30, 30, 40 people. Within a year, as Colin said, they had to build a marquee on the side of it because they couldn't get enough people hundreds, in the hall. There was hundreds of people there. It was a very exciting time for us. And that was really just before we recorded She's Not There. Did you guys also live in the Philippines for a month? Uh, much, was it we? Well, I mean... We couldn't get out, could no, we? we couldn't get out, no. I mean, we did a 10-day residency in the Araneta Coliseum, which at the time held about 30,000 people. It was It's huge, you know. We opened to 28,000, and it went on like that for 10 days. A residency, yeah. A residency, yeah. And Beechwood Park was written there? No, I think it was written where Chris White... Chris White wrote Beechwood Park, and Beechwood Park was a real park just up the road from where he lives. Was it written in the Philippines? You had a month to, you know. Well, you'd have to ask Chris, but I don't think it was. But, you, you, I mean, Chris might tell you a different story. Yeah. You guys mentioned you were prisoners in the Philippines? We were. 
because the thing was, we found out we were being ripped off to such a degree that um, we were pay being paid £80 a night between us for playing to 30,000 people per night. Um, and at the end of that 10 days, we s uh, he wanted to us to stay longer because we could still fill the, the hall. And we said, okay, but you've got to pay us more money. And and he got all his gangster friends, and they lifted you up by your lapels. At, at one point, yeah, they lifted me up by my elbows to to because he had a militia, you know, with guns and trying. You are pretty big too. I know. They just picked me up and walked me out of the room. Yeah. In the Philippines, you recently played there. Who is a famous daughter that came to see you in the Philippines recently? I won't. I, all I remember is Mrs. Marcos, uh, Congresswoman Marcos, uh, came to see us, but I don't remember any. But daughter. nowadays, nowadays, you, you returned. Oh, really? Yeah, when we. Marcos came to see you. Yes. Yeah, she and she came backstage afterwards, yeah. How did her shoe collection look? Well, we, well, we did see her shoe, shoe selection. It's not easy to say. We did see the shoe selection in the palace, but. We did in the palace. I have to tell you a little story about that. In uh, the previous time we went to the Philippines, which was a couple of years before, uh, she was persona non grata at that time, and somebody took us around the palace, and there was her shoe collection. And Jim's wife, Jean, was with us, and she said, "Oh, I'm going to try on her shoes," and she tried on all all um, Imelda Marcos's shoes. Uh oh. This is not good news, but the other thing was when she was in the audience, the promoters were very pro her. She's now a successful politician in her own right. And they said, we'd like you to introduce Congresswoman uh, Marcos from the stage and just introduce her to the audience. And it's very, very dark. Her party are in the front row, so if you could just make a, a little announcement. So I did. So we'd really like to welcome Congresswoman Marcos. And I looked down to the front. and. It was the backing singers from the band, from the support band, and they all stood up. And Mrs. Marcus was right at the back on the left-hand side. So I introduced the backing singers as Mrs. Marcus, which didn't go down particularly well, but I thought it was amusing. I would like to ask you, zombies, about this LP right here. Bunny Lake is missing. Bunny Lake is missing. Otto Preminger. And you have a drummer named. Hugh Grundy. Hugh, was he wearing in this movie a beetle wig? I've no idea. No, he wasn't. There were some pictures taken with Otto Preminger, the director, with a Beatles wig. Oh, okay. That so it was it was Otto with the wig. But I mean, yeah, he, Otto said to us, "I'd like you to write three songs for the film, but I want them written and recorded in ten days." So it was a real pressure job, but well, we got it done, and we there are three songs in the film. Talent plus brains equals. Otto Preminger. Equals the zombies. <laughs> I think we were cursed with that. When we first went to Decca, they wanted to find an angle to sell the band. Remember, we were 18 years old. And they said, what have you been doing in your life up to now? And we said, well, we've only just left school. And then we went down a very precarious road where they developed a story that we were some kind of academic geeks. And it's, it's a very unhip thing to be. And, we and it's also completely inaccurate. I mean, you had Mick Jagger, who was at the London School of Economics, you know, which was a, a great university. You had Paul Jones, who was at Oxford. Paul from the Manfreds. You know, I, it's, it was just crazy. But it was just people that had no idea. And, and we didn't have a manager who had a, a grasp of how to mould our image. And we were stuck with those photos and that story for about three or four years well, it was just crazy it still comes up now in fact 
It's just come up today. <laughs> Ba-boom. I was curious, zombies. What do you think about glasses and rock and roll? Um, well, if you're short-sighted and you're playing rock and roll, you need glasses to get on the stage. And uh, two of our band members needed glasses to get on stage. Although, Bobby I'm Bobby. John Bobby. Lennon. Other people needed to get on stage too. and But I will say one thing, Paul Atkinson sadly is no longer with us, but when he's he got very early contact lenses, he changed completely the way yeah, he looked, didn't he? after about, it was certainly in the first year, wasn't it? Or yeah, something yeah. about that. So at, at towards the end of the band, there was only one guy with glasses, and there still is only one guy with glasses. Chris White is with us tonight. You mentioned, zombies, the rugby injuries. How long, specifically, Colin, did you have a chipped tooth for? Well, I've still got it. I've got a crown over it. You know, I broke this front tooth, and my nose was nearly in my ear at one point, but it seemed to, you know, I had to have an operation. But performing, like, did anybody notice? Well, I broke it the, uh, the day of a concert, so that day they did notice, because uh, it, it was broken very high, so... Uh, Absolutely, you just have to get on with it, don't you, really? Uh, when we went to the Philippines, I had a fractured ankle, so I just had to limp around <laughs> as best I could, you know. Rod, what do you think about the Vox Continental Organ? I love it. Well, you can have it. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, I, I, only ha I, I got the Vox Continental Organ because I couldn't afford anything else, and as soon as I could f afford a Hammond, I got a Hammond. Do you have any tips for piano players? Do you have any tips? Practice. How should one practice, though? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends. Um, I, I think you've got to really have your heart in it. And, th and the thing is that with, with me, I, I, I longed pl to play the piano. And I actually used to listen to records and I used to work out, um, I used to work out what, um, what the chords were uh, on the records. And I spent out, um, I loved sports as well. I used to love to play football and everything, um, uh, soccer as you, as you guys call it. Um, but I would still stay in every summer afternoon and sort of tinkle away on the piano. And I thought I discovered the complete secret of Western harmony when I discovered that three chords could, could actually uh, harmonize with anything. So I thought, well, that's it. You know, I don't need to learn anymore. But I mean, they were very early days. But I, I think, I think you've just really, you've got to have the application and you've got to have the enthusiasm and you've got to want to do it if you don't then th there's no point really but you've got to you've got to see it through but you know you, you've got to work hard but that can be a joy if you and you've got to be honest to yourself you've got to do it for the right reasons so many people these days they uh, they just want to be a celebrity and if you'd asked anybody when we were young um what do you want to be they might have said i want to be in the best band in the world i want to be the best guitarist in the world they could say that and that was fine but no one said i want to be famous these days, most people would just say, I want to be famous. And, you know, you've got to be more honest and true to yourself than that, I think. You guys also have the song New World? York. Oh, New York. <laughs> well, we have got a new world as well. Um, new York, yeah, that's the song that Rod wrote about yeah. the first time we went to New York and we played at the Brooklyn Fox, Murray the K's Christmas show at the Brooklyn Fox, and it was w a wonderful time. And I was curious about that. The customs officials, they wanted you guys to speak to their daughters? Oh, yeah. Oh, there was one. <laughs> yes, there was one. I, I'd never seen a gun before. So these customs people, they had guns, and I was very nervous. And this guy took me away on my own, and uh, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. And then he, there was no mobile phones, obviously, so he took me into a phone box, and he said, 
would you say hello to my daughter? I thought he was going to shoot me <laughs> up to that point. When we, when we were uh, coming through the customs for the first time, um, the guy started talking in what I thought was a foreign language, but it was his idea of an English accent. And, and, and then he invited us to Sunday lunch, to Christmas, Christmas Day lunch, which we went to, believe it or not. But Paul later married the head dancer? Yeah, and, and uh, her, her lead dancer, when she came over to England, she, she came to live in England, and uh, she was quite a famous choreographer. And I met my wife, who was Molly Malloy's lead dancer. So I've been now married for 40, well, since 1972, so that's 45 years. And I went out with her for five years before that, and that was all because of Molly. And also, you guys got to kiss the Shangri-Las? It was only me. I, I think it was. I certainly didn't kiss them. No, what, no, what actually happened was that... We were, we were dragged into doing two things on the show. One was that Hugh had to ride a, uh, a motorbike on oh, yeah. leader, leader of the pack. pack yeah. And the other thing was that on giving him a great big kiss, I had to go up and plant a smacker um, on uh, Mary's face. Not lips, unfortunately, but it's her face. Odyssey and Oracle by the... Zombies. By the zombies. On the song Changes, can you hear security guards? Well, I'm not sure. I'd like to think you can, but uh, we overran this, the session in Abbey Road, and they were very strict about time. It was just past one o'clock, and two guys came in in long brown coats, and they moved the grand piano that we were singing around while we were singing Changes, which we thought was hilarious, and we just kept singing. So I'd like to think you can hear it. I've tried. I'm not sure that I can hear it, but it happened. Time of the season. Were you the first band to go, oh, because you go, oh, yeah, I mean, the thing was that we had a few more tracks uh, uh, in a multi-track sense on that album than we'd ever had before. So what we would do, we would be very thoroughly rehearsed and we'd go in, in a three-hour session, we would record our track. And then because we had one or two extra tracks, anyone that had any ideas, we'd just throw them on. And in time of the season, um, I, I, I got Hugh to play uh, my song and I got, I, I'd written the bass and drum part and I got Hugh just to play an offbeat. But I said to Hugh, I can hear this either side of the offbeat. And he said, well, go and do it. So I just did it. And it, it took, what, three minutes? Yeah, no, absolutely. Is that the first song that had uh in it? Had you heard that before? Because that is amazing, like, oh, uh, oh. Uh. Well, I don't rem I can't think of any others, but I mean, I wouldn't lay claim to it. I don't know. I mean, I think the important thing is at the time, Rod wasn't copying anything else. He just heard that in the arrangement. And so that's what he did. And working in Abbey Road at that time gave us the opportunity to add these spontaneous things because we had extra tracks for the first time. If we go way back to the Blue Tones, Rod, yeah. an acetate exists with a song you wrote on it? It literally was the first song I ever wrote in my life. I was 15 years old and... Um, my cousin, Jim Rodford, who plays bass with us now in the current band and was with the Kinks for 18 years on their biggest ever selling records. Jim was in a band called The Blue Tones and he was my first inspiration. I, I just really wanted to be in, in a band once I'd heard him play. Um, and I wrote this song. Why they took me seriously, I have absolutely no idea, but they did. And I gave them this song and it had a million chords at the beginning. It was very Beatles derived, but it's actually quite charming. I didn't think it existed anymore a any record of it but i later found out not that long ago jim told me that at olympic studios the very famous studios where the stones recorded and everything the blue tones had gone to olympic studios and recorded this song and it exists and i ha i now somewhere have a copy of it 
And I'm so pleased because it was the very first song I ever wrote. And I don't think there are many people that could say the very first song they ever wrote was recorded in somewhere like Abbey Road or Olympic, you know, but this one was. And, and I still think it sounds charming, very derivative, but quite charming. When can people hear it? Well, I know that um, the guy from uh, BMG Records have taken over our, uh, our new record. And I know that, that the guy um, from BMG um, on a podcast has actually put out, or, or he's, he's going to be using it. Um, it's called The Lonely One, and he's using it in the podcast. So presume that it will be available at some point. The Watford Town Hall. Hall. You had a couple judges judging you. We did. I, I'm, I only remember one. One was a guy called, at the time was called Shane Fenton, and he had had some chart success in the UK. Later on, he became Alvin Stardust and had a lot more success, and he was one of the judges, and the judges judged that we were the winner, and that led directly or indirectly to a record contract with Decca Records. There also was Sandra Berry as a judge. Do you remember Sandra Berry? I do remember her, yeah. 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 And she did later stuff with the action, that mod band, the action. Do you remember them? I do, yeah. Um, and I remember her, but I, I wasn't aware of anything that she'd done in the business. I just remember her from that night. And I was curious, zombies, winding up here, what did you think about these particular kind of modish bands that you have played with? Do you know any of these British bands? First off, we have the Downliners Sect. Oh, right. Downliners there. Sect, yeah, yeah. I, me- I, remember, I remember the Downliners Sect from many, many years ago. I, I can't remember much about them. Because the Downliner Sect were one of the 40 records that Al Cooper bought. Oh, when he came to England, when he bought Odyssey and Oracle. And then the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he bought the Downliner Sect as well. Wow. Well, I do remember them being... They, they were quite well-known on the scene, they actually. Were. Yeah. And I think we bumped into them a few times on the road, you know, but I can't claim to know them well. And right underneath them, we have the Pretty Things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just played with them last summer. There was a big concert quite close to they where I live, actually. Great. They sounded really good, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, they recorded Roadrunner. Yes, as we did, and as did many others, I think. And right underneath it is John's Children featuring Mark Bolin. Did you ever play with any of those bands at all? Like the John's Children or the Action or the Downliner Sect? You know, the kind of mid-60s freak beat scene. I played with Mark Bolin when I was with Argent, and he was trying to make a name in New York, and, and it didn't really happen in a, in a big way for him, but um, I don't ever remember us playing with him, do you? I don't think the zombies did, no. Zombies, right now, winding up here, here we have a little book for you guys, the dollar book of songs, the zombies. The dollar book of songs, the Uh, zombies. Well, thank you very much. If we open up to this page right here, we have a little informational thing on the zombies. Well, I'm, I, I'll take your word for it, but without my reading glasses, I haven't really got much of a clue. Well, it shows all the different members of the zombies, and we see Colin Blundstone, oh, really? and if we go all the way down there, we see Charlie Bird. You love Charlie Bird. Tony Castle. I was obviously listening to them at the time. Wonderful guitarists, yeah. What can you say about Charlie Bird? Not very much, is I, it? I can say a couple of things. There was an album called Blues for Night People that was one of my favourite albums when I was very young. And the other thing is he did make a version of Time of the Season as well. And I have a gift for you to reacquaint yourself with Charlie Bird, a Charlie Bird LP. All right, fantastic. I must admit, I haven't listened to him in some time. 
But I mean, he is a fabulous player. Uh, and if you could open this up again, we okay. see another photo. You guys holding a trophy. What trophy are you holding there? It's a number one in cash box, and just and I ended up having that at home, and just recently. Yeah, I know, because it was given to all of us, and no one knew where it went. I had it. But I gave it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in um, Cleveland. Actually, I leased it to them, to be absolutely truthful. But it's a... It's a How much did you get? No, I, just, I didn't get anything. <laughs> but um, uh, it's a trophy for being number one in Cashbox, which she's not there. What do you think about Hugh Grundy versus Robert Grundy? Uh, uh, fake zombies. Did I see you guys in 1988? Not in the 60s, not the ZZ Top zombies, but did I see you in 88? Could I have seen you? No, you could not have seen us in 88. But um, Robert Grundy may have been the guy who was threatened with a gun. Yes, that's right, yeah. yeah. I, I thought I'd written quite a few letters to try and stop this band impersonating the zombies, and I thought maybe I'd had some kind of effect, and then I heard this wonderful story that a fan went into the dressing room and pointed a gun at the fake zombies and said, you are not the zombies, and then they didn't play anymore after that, and I don't blame them. Well, that's amazing. And you encountered a gun, too, on the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars. We encountered... A gun. We oh, did. We did. We did, actually. Dee Dee Sharp. Sharp, who was down the front of the bus, I'm glad to say, because we were up at the back. She, I don't know who she pointed the gun at, but she definitely pointed a gun at someone, and I'm afraid she was left on the side of the road. They, uh, she was kicked off the tour, wasn't she? Yeah, there's another fake zombies story, and that's that, um, that, that recently uh, the two guys that became important members of ZZ Top... Um, were in a fake zombies band. So that we only found that out a couple of years ago, actually. And it gives you great credibility, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you, ZZ. Well, absolutely. And when we finish, we, we, we intend... It's going to be a ZZ top tribute. Oh, absolutely. We, we might make more money, yeah. yeah. What song would you do? Legs, sir? Oh, I don't oh, know. All, all of them, decided. very badly, but all of them. Can you give a shout-out, zombies, to Fiona Bloom, the publicist that set up this interview? Fiona, thank you so much. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done in my life. Thank you so much, Fiona. Oh, that is amazing. Thank you. And you guys are the zombies. The zombies. Why should people care about the zombies? Why should people care? Because we're lovely people and we deserve all your gratitude. I think Rob put that rather well. Well, thank you very much, zombies. Keep on rocking in a free world and do do loot do do do.
And you're listening still, hopefully, to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And you just heard right there, the zombies with It's All Right With Me. And before that, an interview with the zombies. And one of the bands that I mentioned in the zombies interview was, were the pretty things. Here are the pretty things with Don't bring me down! I'm on my own Just wanna roam I tell you man Don't wanna home I want around Be off the ground From town to town I say I think this life is grand Say I dig it, man Don't bring me down, man Don't bring me down I met this shit The other day And then to me She says she stayed I got this bad Just like a cave And we have
lives in West Moonwood. But Ernie lives with his dad. Ernie's dad is dead. And buried. Ernie's job is cutting grass at the cemetery. But the vicar won't let him wear his leather jacket. And Ernie's bird gets very tired of sitting in the grass bin all the way to Brighton. Ernie's unhappy in life. So was his dad. Now, Ernie and the vicar got on very well until the day Ernie mowed up his brussel tops. They weren't valuable. In fact, it seems to me that brussel bottoms would have been more meat in them. He got the sack. He bought himself a mac. Ernie's heard of a great place to wear his mac. Grimsby Fish Market. So he's moving. Ernie can move. He learnt it from his dad. The vicar misses Ernie. Ernie misses the vicar. You might say they both miss each other. It was a strange affair.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And that there was MFC Chicken with Woman Who Jog. And the MFC Chicken sent me that record, courtesy Dirty Water, Dirty Records, Dirty Water Records. Thank you so much, MFC Chicken for sending me that record. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the records that you send me or leave to me at CITR. I love it. If you want to get my Addy, Nardwar at Nardwar.com or send me an MP3. So again, thank you so much, MFC Chicken, for sending this release. And thank you as well, Dirty Water Records, for sending all your releases over the years to the Nerdwar, the Human Serviette radio show. So we heard right there, Woman Who Jog, by the MFC Chicken from the record Going Chicken Crazy. And before that, heard a couple a couple tracks from this release that I'm holding in my hands, Donna Lynn. Java Jones, my boyfriend, got a beetle haircut. And we heard from Donna Lynn from Canada, we heard two tracks, my boyfriend got a beetle haircut and a skippy version of My Bonnie, My Beatles. And... Before that, we heard John's Children singing Strange Affair. And before that, the sun rays with Live for the Sun. And before that, some more John's Children with John's Children doing Smashed Block. And we began with the pretty things doing Don't Bring Me Down as mentioned in the interview with the zombies. I would also like to thank Rowan from sending me for sending me an amazing package of a George Harrison LP, the brainwashed LP, and a lava lamp. Rowan send, 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 um, or sent an actual lava lamp to me. It wasn't music. It was a lava lamp. So thank you so much again, Rowan, for sending the George Harrison solo LP, Brainwashed, and a lava lamp. Thank you, MFC Chicken. And also, thank you, the Tublo Lloyds, the Tubuloids, for sending their latest release right here to me at CITR. And we're going to hear a little track from the latest release from the Tubaloids. And they're playing this. Uh, actually, in a couple weeks, they are playing. And they are playing at the Savoy Pub on Hastings Street. Their brand new release is on Beer City Records and skateboards from Milwaukee on beautiful puke green vinyl, 45 RPM, four songs. We are going to hear Stealing Satisfaction, and they are playing next weekend with The Obscene Being and The Glad Rags at the Savoy Pub, which is 258 East Hastings. The Tubaloids 
we are going to hear Stealing Satisfaction. And thank you again, Tubaloids, for sending this record to me. I really appreciate it. A brand new eight-song puke-colored 45 RPM vinyl as well. Also, boy, I am lucky to get a lot of stuff here. You can be a DJ, too, at CITR, and you can get lots of music sent to you. Join CITR. If Nora can do it, anybody can do it. Also sent to me from Ilka at Fly PR was this band right here that we're going to hear, The Ghost Wolves. We are going to hear the intro track from The Ghost Wolves, as well as we're also going to hear another track called Attitude Problem. And The Ghost Wolves are from Austin, Texas. So we are going to hear right now a little bit of Tubaloids, who are playing next weekend at the Savoy Pub, and some Ghost Wolves Attitude Problem. Thank you, Ilka. Thank you, Rowen. Thank you, Tubaloids, for sending all this stuff to me. So here we go on a Nerd War to Human Serviette radio show, the Tubaloids with Stealing Satisfaction. Yo! 
ジェントルマン父ちゃん母ちゃん兄ちゃん姉ちゃんうちうちやばい最高のデスウェスタンパンクロックデュオを紹介するぜバグオンドラ紹介するぜバグオンドラ紹介するぜバグオンドラ紹介するぜバグオンドラ紹介するぜ